Now that we'd seen the league in action, it was time to dig deeper into their pasts, fill in the blank spaces leading up to 1961. We'd start by trailing Martian Manhunter. When we arrived in the unnamed city, we found a history of superfunded crooks and brave detectives, but no aliens. Not for years. Johns had been careful to hide that a Martian even existed. Leaving the library and nursing drinks, we spent the night thinking about that. Having a secret identity was one thing, but what would it look like for a hero to hide even their existence? Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we're the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Hey! I got it right this time. Drinks white... are probably still on me. All that white noise uh, <laughs> paid off for the two of us. That's perfect. So for those of you who don't know, we, uh, we, what I call white noise is basically the two of us talking to, uh, before we start. So just a little bit of a practice run for the two of us. And uh, it helps us loosen up, get ready. We have fancy new mics that I've been using for streaming, but now, and we used once on Noir before. That's right, yeah. A couple times, actually, and now we're using it fully so that it's just, it's just me and Matt right now. Um, once we, if, when Shannon comes back on, we're going to use the the snowball again because it picks the three of us up pretty well, and that's really great, but this is now the setup we have where, look, we've been doing this for two years, so I figured we should get some good equipment. Yeah. Two? Just about two years anyway we are looking at martian manhunter oh poor john jones um he had it coming we, look we're we're doing like we're kind of blitzkrieging this we're gonna do about two years maybe a year and a half um in one episode just to catch us up to 1960 which is the year the j the jla happened so we kind of want to get to where he is in the world of DC Comics relative to why he would be in the JLA. That being said, we're going to start with Detective Comics number 26, June 1958. 256. Yeah. Did I say 256? I, I heard 26. Detective Comics 256, June 1958. If I said 26, Patreon. Um, <laughs> Martian Manhunter protects Captain Harding's nephew, Willie, at a carnival, so Captain Harding is John Jones's captain uh, at the police precinct. Um, the carnival has a bunch of criminals at it who are trying to run like a racket, and they in- immediately recognize Detective Jones because remember he's the marvelous Detective Jones. He can do anything and everything, and has friends everywhere. And they try to kill him um, while he's there at the carnival with the kid, and of course he uses Martian powers to not let that happen. I want to point something out about this. The first time that he that there's an assassination attempt, and it's very clear, John Jones said, thinks to himself, well, this is going to happen again. I have to lure them out instead of, you know, getting the kid to safety. Yeah, I mean, like, there's part of it there is he doesn't want to alarm the child and then potentially get in trouble with Captain Harding that, like, you know, hey, I went to a carnival with your kid and I almost got him killed. Um but yeah, the other half of that is like, why aren't you smart and figure out that this is not what you fucking do? This is basically dangling a kid out of a bedroom window. Right. It's it's very it's very bad. Um, but if, I will say, however, every single issue we're going to cover, Martian form. Yep. He yeah. appears in Martian form in every single issue, and I think that's really cool. Although one thing I will point out about that, it is 
almost always invisible. This is going to change later, like right at the end of what we cover. But uh, to get ahead of ourselves, this is very much a unseen force. Hidden Martian form. Uh, (laughs) Crouching tiger, hidden Martian. I like it. Someone, someone make that. Someone Photoshop that for us. Um, the and then Co- show it to me so I can be traumatized again. <laughs> yeah, we've we've, <laughs> we've gotten that. mostly over that. We've talked mostly. about that story on here. Yeah. Uh, Detective Comics number 257, July 1958. Martian Manhunter pretends to be fired from the police force to root out an underworld gang crime boss who's gone into hiding um, while going and pretending to be the greatest criminal of all time because he was an ex-cop. He already did this gag. Yeah. If you remember, he did this gag when he pretended to be just some regular criminal and used his Martian powers to out-criminal other guys to be like, I'm the leader of your gang now. You're all in one place. I'm arresting you. And now he's doing that, except now he's trying to... Now he's doing it as a detective uh, to be a crooked cop to lure somebody out. It's As Don Cheadle says in Oceans 13, no, you've already done that gag. You don't do the same gag twice. You and don't I- do that. And I do want to point out, like, this is an instance where they're pulling the world's finest thing where they're pretend where the the author, the narrator is pretending that John Jones is actually like going evil instead of it being like, oh, this is just a trick. It's no, we're going to do the twist ending it for the reader. It doesn't really land. Nope. No. That's going to be a running theme. Yeah. (laughs) John Jones, bad pilot, doesn't land. (laughs) Detective Comics number 258, August 1958. Uh, He goes on a vacation, but the captain of the boat that he knows or that Captain Harding knows uh, just ousted the captain, the previous captain who happened to be a smuggler and his old crew is now trying to convince him that the ship is jinxed or cursed and uh, Martian Manhunter has to protect him from getting blown up or sunk or even just mutinied upon. Detective Comics number 259, September 1958. Martian Manhunter fights a gang of criminals who use... Unique and highly improbable getaway vehicles to get out of all their crimes. Um, the guy's name is the Getaway King. We start getting monikers for John Jones, which is kind of neat uh, for all of his villains that he starts to kind of uh, encounter. One such unique and improbable vehicle is a car, like a limousine that then splits up into three different cars. And I'm going, where's the engine in all three of those vehicles? Where's the steering wheel? How do the tires move independent of each other? How does that vehicle move at all? Where's the gas tank? None of this makes any fucking sense. Moving on. (laughs) Uh, Detective Comics number 260, October 1958. He helps uh, a cop with self-esteem issues feel better about himself by leading him to crimes that he can then stop. Now, what I appreciate about this is that John Jones is not stopping the crimes for him and allowing the guy to take credit for it. He is leading him to the crimes that he can naturally take himself, which he does, and the guy's getting the credit. He's just having a little help finding the crime. It's like he's got a Martian police scanner. Now, again... This gag has already been done. I think it was done by Superman. I think so. So, John, yeah, the the cop who is going to retire. Yeah, Superman helps the cop who's going to retire. Uh, this is a Golden Age gag. John Jones was is. It? Yeah, it was Golden. That was a Golden Age thing. We did not do that in the Silver Age. Okay, fair enough. I I could have sworn there was something like that. Uh, yeah, it was Golden Age. Yeah. Wow. We're um, old. It's uh, <laughs> well, this 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 bit is old. Yeah. John so, and it has not been done any better here no uh it's a little nicer because he's mm-hmm. letting the guy do it himself and he's not like supermanning the, the stuff away for the guy but it's still unnecessary i mean he feels bad for the guy and god bless him that he's trying to help a guy get his self-esteem back but i mean uh, okay sure um really for me though 
I'm going to use that term supermaning a lot because really all it appears that John Jones, Martian Manhunter, does is just superman all over the place and do, like we discussed in the last episode about Martian Manhunter, Golden Age shit all the time. That's all it kind of does. Carnivals, cops, bank robbers. It's all Golden Age stuff with a Silver Age uh, gleam. It's like they painted over the base coat of gold with silver at this point and they're just like, you know, it's Martian Manhunter, but don't think forget it's forget it's a bunch of mobsters yeah that that's going to be a key thing i'm going to talk a little bit more about that like that a lot of the structure and style and panache or lack thereof of the stories is extremely like the world's finest stuff but it doesn't have the the big the extravagance or the extreme kookiness that a lot of world's finest did this is just well they're crooks they just have a weird angle It's got a lot of the whimsy in the approach uh, that like World's Finest does, but it doesn't have the the pieces aren't as out there. It's it's Batman wearing or it's Superman wearing Batman's clothes. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. It just Mm -hmm. doesn't work because it's like, why do any of this? Um, Detective Comics number 261, November 1958. Martian Manhunter fights a guy with a shrinking ray. he says that he's no match for an Earthman for once in his career. Um, this is something I don't get. All his powers are still there, and he's still really strong. Presumably, even in his in a smaller state, still stronger than this normal man who has a gun that he bought at Acme Villain Supply. Uh, <laughs> with all the de-evolution rays that everybody bought. Uh, is that just like the blue ticket special this week? Probably. No. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. This guy's got to be the cousin of the Flea Circus dude. Oh, Oh, because they've got shrinking rays. These are the only two guys we've seen with shrinking rays. They've got to be either going to the same store or they know each other. This no. Here's the thing. They don't yet. Oh, this is their meet cute. This is when they both go to jail at the same time. They both shrink someone at the same time. Oh, God. What's the uh, what's the like adorable rom-com name? Like, uh, like the equivalent of like when Harry met Sally, uh, (laughs) I mean, it's not when Harry shrunk Sally. No, it's, it's uh, Honey, I Shrunk Some Superheroes. Yes! Uh. <laughs> oh, man, can we get, what is his name, Rick Moranis? Oh, I think it was Rick Moranis, yeah. Yeah, can we get him he's, in on this? Sure, he's got to be one of the villains. Yeah, um, yeah. You're welcome, that was for free, Honey, I Shrunk Although, some, some Superheroes. He could be the, he could be the, like... The guy who sells the shrinking ray. And he's like the dad figure. Oh, sure. Like, he gave them their first shrink rays when they were kids. Now remember, don't shrink anyone past midnight. Uh, <laughs> God, that's such an arbitrary rule. Midnight where? Um, Detective <laughs> Comics, number 262, December 1958. Uh, he stops a guy who's using mildly well-trained animals to steal things. Now, I say mildly well-trained because at the, at the merest hint or slight vision of something that would distract them they're completely thrown off balance and they're absolutely useless to this criminal so he's good up to a point not like the animal master from the aquaman issues that we saw where that guy trained animals on a friggin' island to fight a superhero like just by himself for a while and this guy's like yeah my uh my trained gorillas are good at this crap but you show them some bananas and they're and they're bowed like i i lose all control over them which is like, come on, man, what are you what are you spending time on? Where'd you get your doctorate in, <laughs> an, in animal training for crime? Detective Comics number 263, January 1959. Happy New Year. 
Martian Manhunter fights a magician, I have in parentheses here, real question mark, called the Crime Conjurer, but he's hindered by a documentary filmmaker who is assigned to him by the uh, by the police station or police uh, department. And his uh, secret identity is almost revealed because this guy almost catches it. Actually, he does catch it on camera, but then he swaps it out for, like, sci-fi movie footage. So the guy's like, oh, shit, the, the, the reel must have been developed wrong. It's even better. Like, he just... He develops another reel on top of it. Yeah. So it's like Photoshop layer style. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Like, if it's that, you can usually tell, like, which layer is which because they'll sure. have different layers of opacity. So it's like, wait, the Martian is on a different layer from the sci-fi. I mean, not but... everybody's as good at, as, at film acknowledgement at that time i imagine but still you're I, right it, it should be obvious to a trained eye i i really like the phrase for a lot of this fiat successes yeah uh capital r reasons yeah and uh, sometimes that reason is small page count sure uh i and i remember i said um magician parentheses real mm-hmm. um so the crime conjurer is like a bad guy who uses like magic tricks there is at one point a just a fuckload of birds come out of his hat now, like the first gag he does is like a smoke bomb, and really he does he doesn't really disappear. He runs away. But I'm like, how'd you get all those birds in your hat, man? That's like a real. That's man- a sentence you should never have to ask someone. I know, right? <laughs> um, I mean, unless it's like a special occasion. Sure, but that's like a real magic thing that he does. That's like some Zatanna Zatara level magic. Let me see if I can find the shot in here because now I'm curious. Uh, Detective two sixty three, January nineteen fifty nine. If you want to go to the table of contents and find it it's like yeah that's a it's a lot of birds that's like that's legit magic yeah there's there's no like that's a that's a real magician that he's fighting all right but everything else looks yeah everything else is like a a charade or some kind of scam or or fake magic it's like misdirection and like tools but that's like real magic. that's a lot of birds that's like (laughs) if it was like two like i'm friends with magicians and i magicians studying is kind of a hobby thing that i like to look at one bird's hard two birds is like you're real good and they're real trained to not make a noise and like get out of the the hat or what have you like that's like at least 10 birds this is like john woo levels of birds there's no way he's like joe blue thing his way through this and just putting birds in his pockets like like (laughs) in arrested development and hoping they don't get killed because he like runs into a door by accident like that's like a that's a flock. If it's a crows, it's a murder at least. Uh, but they that's a f- sure do. Uh, okay, they're supposedly they're black, black birds, so they mm-hmm. could be. Uh, well, if it's ravens, it's an unkindness of ravens. That's the term for a, pl- a plethora of ravens. I it? didn't know that an unkindness. Really? I thought I thought it was a parliament. A group of, of rooks is a parliament. A group of ravens is an unkindness. Yeah. Huh. Those are two different birds, apparently. I guess so, because there's a. Uh, there's a bit in one of the early uh, Sandman comics that's ah. about, oh, what do you, why is it called a parliament of ravens, uh, of rooks? But I thought it was ravens. That's fair. No, that's, yeah. they both are birds. I, yeah. I'm not I honestly don't know what differentiates a rook from a raven. I don't either. I don't uh, even know what a rook is. Uh, ornithologists at us, let us know what the difference is between a rook and a raven. Detective Comics number 264, February 1959. Some criminals have Martian weapons that they found that apparently floated through space from a Mars spacecraft and then have landed on Earth and they found them and are using them to commit crimes. Um, the secret's almost out when Harding, when Captain Harding sees John Jones turn into Martian Manhunter, and, but John plays it smooth and rolls a good nat 20 on a, crit- on a charisma check by saying, oh no, 
it was a side effect of one of the guns. And Captain Harding's like, oh, uh, I hope you turn back normal. And then he goes and stops these guys. But this is like the first real danger he's ever been in because these Martian weapons are made to stop Martians. So it's an actual kind of challenge, which was kind of neat. And, uh, oh, yeah, halfway through the story, this is, this is, this will boggle, boggle your mind. John refers to himself as the most powerful being on the planet. Did he? Yes. There is a scene, there's a panel, where he says, even I, the most powerful being on Earth. Yeah, wow. And I'm like, bullshit. I, John, I completely spaced on that, yeah. John, you know Superman exists. <laughs> you know he's there. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Especially when fire is everywhere. The and in fact, literally in the next in the next panel, fire is slightly more common than kryptonite. Yes, the unmitigated gall, <laughs> as the Grinch would say. Uh, that was for you, Jackie. Uh, Detective Comics number two sixty five, March nineteen fifty nine, Martian Manhunter versus the Human Falcon. This guy basically steals Penguin's gimmick, but also wears like a Hotline Miami Falcon mask, kind of like Catwoman does with the cat mask. Yeah, he's doing bird theft. Bird-themed crimes, and Martian Manager stops him, like you do, because he's a—he has no powers. He's a guy with a bird mask. No. <laughs> and the thing that's most offensive about it, that most offends the sensibilities, he doesn't even have the dignity to come back at any point. It's like, okay, you've got no. a gimmick. It lasts six pages, and then you're done. The, Go away. Yeah, the guy's dressed in a three-piece suit with a cape and a bird head. <laughs> like, he's not Classy. even... He's not even in, like, a themed outfit. Like, the penguin's in a tuxedo, so, like, thematically, it's great. But, like, this guy's just like, I'm a falcon who's a, a human falcon. No. At least try. At least, for all of our sakes, try. Detective Comics number 266... <laughs> This this superhero needs a better class of villain. Yeah, he does. He needs a better oh, class God, of villain he. and a better class of plots. Yeah. Detective Comics number two sixty six, April nineteen fifty nine. Martian Manhunter must keep the masked Avenger from dying as he tries to catch crooks to impress his lady. He basically supermans around this guy who pretends to be a superhero, who's just some weedy little twerp, um, to protect him because he's an idiot and he's obviously going to get himself killed. Detective Comics number two sixty seven, May nineteen fifty nine. Uh, Jovians from Jupiter land on Earth trailing a criminal, but they can't catch him because, like Martians are afraid of fire, Jovians are afraid of rain, and it is raining that particular day in parts unknown city. We still don't have a name for the freaking town that God, he's in. Right. And it bothers God, the hell out of me. That. Martian Manhunter helps them get uh, the guy, but he stays on Earth to disarm a booby trap solar nuke bomb thing that the guy left. In, like, a, a narrative panel. We don't even see that yeah. happen. That's it, really disappointing. It's a fiat reason for him to stay on Earth. Right. Because these guys are like, oh, yeah, totally. You're a Martian. You're stuck on Earth. We're going to Jupiter. On our way back, he, we'll drop you off. And Martian Manager has, like, a moment where he's like, oh, I could leave Earth. I'd, 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 I'd leave all my friends in this place that I love. And I was like, oh. Martian Manhunter has friends? You, you, well, presumably Captain Harding is mm. the one person he speaks to the most. And, yeah, he's got, like, those guys that he knows who, like, are on movies and stuff That's and true. maybe that guy in the adventuring club so there's like handful handful of friends that he's got being the most interesting man in the world although i think it is worth noting that because he spends so much time in his martian persona even if it's an invisible one uh during this block of stories we really don't see like john jones as a 
character at the no. center of like a social network anymore. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of supermaning and a lot less yeah. uh, noir detectiving. Uh, but yeah, he stays on Earth to, to disarm the bomb and does not go back to Mars. Detective Comics number 268, June 1959. A meteor mixes his powers up for a day. Detective Comics number 269. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, that's the appropriate response. Yeah, number 269, July 1959. Uh, a blackmailer thinks that Martian Manhunter is dressing up like a Martian because he's moonlighting as a movie set extra, which apparently is illegal for cops to have two jobs. And forgot that that was how that story resolved. And the guy's like... If I'll tell your boss your secret, and John thinks that he knows that he's a Martian. So he's like, oh, shit, someone figured it out. And he's like, sure, I guess I'll help you commit crimes. And eventually he's like, I'm just going to make all these not work out while I'm helping you. And it worked. And the guy's like, screw this, I'm done. I'm going to tell your boss because you're not helping me. And he tells his boss, like, he's a movie extra. And his boss is like, is this true? He's like... I'm only doing it to draw out this blackmailer, sir. And everything goes back to the way it was. This is like the third or fourth time, though, that someone has almost discovered his identity. And we're starting to get into the thing, the theme of, oh, no, what if I'm found out? And like, thank God we're trying that at least. And even when there isn't somebody consciously like investigating him uh, or holding it over him, you absolutely have like, oh, I need to stay invisible and sure. I can't be noticed. So it's. The need to protect the secret identity is absolutely part of the construction of the combat the MO. scenarios. Yeah, it's the MO at this point. Yep. Uh, Detective Comics number 270, August 1959. Martian Manhunter tracks a guy to Africa who poses as a guide to entrap him and kill him, but it ends up just being the guy he was trying to trap. It's dumb. Detective Comics number 271, <laughs> September 1959. Some crooks steal uh, Professor Erdell's machine that the or, uh, the machine that teleported John to Earth in the first place. And they mess with the dials and it prevents Martian Manhunter from turning back into Jones for a day. Okay. It's kind of, it's stupid. Detective Comics number 272, October 1959. John Jones gets a bodyguard from the police force assigned to him because a criminal threatens him. And the guy's actually pretty cool. And he, like, legitimately tries to save John in some situations where he can't turn into Martian Manhunter because he doesn't want to give away his secret identity. And the guy's, like, a gutsy, real cool cop guy. And they end up parting ways once the guy's caught and put in jail. And they shake hands and they're buds. It's great. And I like that story. It's it's pretty short and sweet, but, like, not impressive. But, like, hey, that was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Detective Comics number 273, November 1959. This is my favorite alien name in the world. Brett. That's right, yeah. <laughs> B hyphen ret like J hyphen on. He's a Martian criminal who flees from Mars in an experimental rocket, where's Hal Jordan, and lands on Earth. In this rocket, he's just like, sweet, I'm on a planet where I've got tons of freaking powers and nobody to stop me. And he starts running rac- uh, a ruckus. The Martian manager shows up and stops him, puts him in a rocket, jumps him out into space now everyone's aware of the martian manhunter because he takes him to like nasa or a nasa equivalent in this town and they send him into space they're like thanks martian manhunter and like captain harding's like boy john with this new martian around you're gonna be like the number two detective in the city and he's like ha 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 if you only knew i'm both spots because i'm a greedy bastard whatever (laughs) that went it got dark. An unexpected accident. It got dark for no reason, I'm sorry. 
But yeah, everyone knows that the Martian Manhunter is now a thing. So two things around that. So yes. actually three things. So first off, yeah, that's going to change the style of a lot of these stories. A lot of the constraints that get sort of usually wrapped into the construction of the combat encounters. Uh, but second, I really like how with this, they've now abandoned all pretext of John needing a reason to get home or a, a way to get home because it's like he goes to NASA and says, hey, that rocket that you're going to send out into space, uh, put this guy in it, send him, uh, he'll get close to Mars and the Martians will come pick him up. Why not do the same for John? Oh, well. Yeah. They've... The writers have decided to stop caring about sending John home. You would you would think, upon the very easy and pleasing response that he gets to just being around now, he might go, hey, so I've been like a cop for like three, four years. Does that bother anybody? And it probably wouldn't. All his concerns... That people wouldn't, like, accept him because he'd be a Martian and they'd be afraid of him. Have now been unfounded because he's shown up and proved that he's the good kind of alien. And, and we, everyone seems cool with it. And we don't even have, like, a, oh, I have to uh, stay secret to protect my loved ones because... He doesn't have any. Yep. Uh, and then there'll be a lady who get in, gets introduced in one issue later on yeah. uh, and never comes back as near as I can tell. But before we advance, uh, on the topic of amazing uh, alien names, so I'm just going to gush for a minute about Friends at the Table because they are doing a show, they're doing a uh, season, uh, like a micro season, on, based on a TV show game, essentially, mm. Uh that they have named, they have named the show that they are creating "Aliens in the Outfield." Oh, oh boy! All the, all of the, like <laughs> most of the members of a minor league baseball team are aliens undercover. Wow! Doing a show about, well, let's show like Earth and how awesome it is and how great all the humans are, so that they don't decide, the rest of the aliens don't decide to blow Earth up. And all of the names are all the names are pretty good. There is one like super like super buff alien and they're all undercover as humans. And so they all have like their alien names and their human names. This super buff alien is named Jack T. Hall and his actual like alien name is Jack to Hell. It's just <laughs> thank you. It's so good. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that so much. And then there's Llewellyn Llewellyn, who is a giant mothman, who is the team mascot, because that's the only way that they can just cover up who he is. Sure. So he's always in the mascot outfit. Absolutely. And then there's Keith Carberry, played by Keith Carberry. Obviously. And then there's the coach who doesn't have a very good relationship with his son. So it's like, okay, we get the all sad moments of trying to connect. It's very Mighty Ducks. Yeah, I like it. Better yeah, than now Brett. I want to rewatch Mighty Ducks. Better than Brett. <laughs> that was so good. And How? It's just, it's just the exclamation mark, Brett. How? <laughs> oh, God. It, yep. Yep. Oh, just oh, Detective <laughs> Comics number 274, December 1959. The Human Flame. It's a guy who makes a suit that shoots fire out of the chest. Martian Manhunter has to stop him. Guess what he does? 
Speaking of that girl that shows up again, Detective Comics number 275, January 1960. Happy New Year. Diane Mead. You remember her, don't you? Of course it, you don't. Is she? Diane Mead is the... Wait, is she the, the same person? It's the same girl. The... Oh. This is the second time she's shown up. And they waited like two years between appearances. Pretty much. I'm, I'm going to say, in Ugh. my headcanon, she's in cop school. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It's right. just... God damn. And but, she doesn't show up again for at least the next like six or seven issues because I flipped ahead to find right. out. So Diane Mead returns. She's that gal who was like, I want to work with John Jones. He's dreamy. Now she comes back and she is assigned to assist Jones. I don't know if detectives get patrol officers to help them out, but apparently it's a thing. Shenanigans mm. ensue, and basically what happens is Diane figures out because duh <laughs> that John is John and she's like don't worry I'll keep it a secret because she's cool and stuff and he spends the rest of the issue trying to convince her through a myriad of stupid things and a Martian robot he's built that looks just like him that just kidding I'm not the Martian Manhunter even though no one seems to give a shit anymore and uh, that's where we end our coverage um, because that's 1960 and that's the year that uh the jla issues were in when we started jla so we're gonna stop there we covered pretty much everything that i wanted to bring up uh martian manhunter being deluded to think that he's the strongest being in the universe brett the (laughs) alien from mars and the uh, shrinking ray guy that was pretty much all i wanted to cover uh do you have stuff and things i do um first off yeah this still lives up to being as bad as we remembered. Yeah. The only mercy is like, I I was so worried about, oh, it, we're going to have to take so long to slog through all of the Martian Manhunter stuff. I mean, we went through a whole lot of comics, and the reason we went through as quickly as we did is because these are five and a half pages. I'd forgotten yeah. how short these are, and they yeah. are not. To, that is not to their credit. Yeah. But uh, when we start going through like Flash and stuff, they're going to end up being like eight to 12 pages again, and we're only going to do like. 12 at a time yeah i'm actually legitimately curious whether there's going to come a point where they'll switch to being like oh a full story in yeah. every issue because we've seen a couple like that i don't know but... when he's going to get popular enough for that but it might mm. be after the jla starts seems likely all right so first off let's talk story structure uh a lot of these are going to be things that we've kind of already touched on a bit but i want to expound a little bit more With the JLA, that was the selling point. The story structure was solid. The foundations were strong. You had, like, the good, not even twist endings, but satisfying, like, oh, that's the Chekhov's gun situation. Sure. Here, you heard me use the phrase fiat successes earlier. Everything feels unearned. Uh, It's the very standard, like, oh, there will be three uh challenges to overcome in the course of this story none of them will be all that related none of them will feel like he actually earned beating them none of them will feel like they will actually have taken very long they'll be over in panels uh there was one uh story we talked about where one of the twists that's teased in the intro is that his identity is going to get revealed and it's the one where uh the cop as soon as he sees oh there's a martian the cop immediately goes Oh, but that must just be you got transformed by those weapons. And (laughs) specifically, that is not something where John did anything to overcome that. It's just the panel, the first panel is 
oh, there's a Martian. The very next panel is the same guy correcting himself. No, that must have been just yeah. you got hit by a ray. A silent charisma check. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. I rolled that nat 20 on that. It worked. But yeah, but it's like, that's one of the challenges. And it's one that gets played up in the intro to the story. But it, John doesn't do shit to accomplish it. No. Uh, and we see stuff like that. Uh 268 his powers come back on the of their own accord and it's just in time but not in like a dramatic way where it's like i have to hold it steady but i don't have the strength oh it's back it's like no it's just well i don't think i can do this oh wait i can yay i do want to point something out though uh because it's not just the martian manhunter stories that have this really shitty story structure Casey the Cop also does. Casey the Cop is one of the little gag backup uh, uh, features in uh, Detective Comics at this point. It's always like two-thirds of a page. They'll have like an ad for Tootsie Roll Pops on the bottom. And it's always just really like half of them are not funny. Like not because they're bad, but just because they're not a joke. Like let me read one like just verbatim that really bugged me. Uh, Casey the cop is in like a jury room, uh, and uh, an alleged perp is like sitting, standing outside, and he looks a little suspicious. Well, slugger, now the jury's come. When the jury comes out, we'll find out your fate. Listen, Casey, my lawyer made a sound speech. That jury will never, fr- will absolutely free me. Not this time. It looks like you're going to prison. See, and he points, and all the members of the jury are coming out in different colored suits, like. Uh, like, uh, not con- kind of Congo, Congo style, like walking forward with a hand on the person in front of them's uh, shoulder and all walking in stride. I don't know what they're implying there. Why yeah. does... Is that a thing we don't know? I don't know. Like, I, there Professional are... Professional jurors, tell us. Yeah, like there are enough other things that if there were other things that were funny, like, or if there were other ones in here that weren't like oh that's just not a well done joke it didn't stick the landing maybe i'd be like oh this is some pop culture like contemporary context that we don't have but no i think it's just you tried to make a joke and it didn't work yeah like it's not like the time that's also that, not funny yeah that's the thing it's just like it's not like it's offensive or anything it's just there's no joke you're going here. to jail douchebag yeah. like that's the joke yeah and there's there are a lot of uh because there are uh two backup uh gags in each of these comics uh it winds up i think getting a few more later on but for most of this it's casey the cop and uh willis the warden and something like basically one about someone who actually is like a warden or a prison situation and a surprising amount of those stories are or those little gags are well are we aren't you worried about this person escaping no we keep them in restraints (laughs) And it's just like, oh, well, of course why, not. Why, aren't, why aren't you worried about, like, leaving the door open for the sleepwalker? Don't worry. We make him sleep with a leg iron. Um, worse, actually, uh, to sort of round out, here's what's in every issue of Detective Comics. It's a Batman story, a Roy Raymond TV detective story, uh, same as what we had in the past, uh, a one-page prose crime story. Hmm. Like, straight up, one-page prose. Nice. Eh, not amazing, but it's... Sure feels different. Like, it yeah. feels a little bit closer to noir. It reminds me of when we kind of had those, like, Johnny Thunder one-shot yeah, stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
yeah, actually that that kind of thing, that kind of tone where it's like it's not just it's clearly a little bit older in in approach. Sure. Uh, plus the oh, jail jests was the name of it. And Casey the Cop, Gag Comics, and Martian Manhunter. And I think halfway through the stuff we read, Martian Manhunter gets uh, boosted up into the second slot instead of being the closeout. Well, that's nice. Yeah. At least I I assume that, like, the earlier it is, the the more you're valued. I actually, I kind of wonder if they'd want, like, a closer that that makes you feel better. I don't know. Yeah, but presumably the headliner's the the first story you get in there for, and the rest of it's all the whatever. Yeah, the first one's definitely the headliner, yeah. But sort of drawing on the fact that there are these other uh, stories in these comics, uh, the thing that's weird about this chunk is that the the crooks of this era feel extremely like supervillains. They're comically well-funded, they have an inventiveness and a whimsy to their plans, and their plans are convoluted and they're indirect compared to the size and expanse of their methods, but... Martian Manhunter is still dealing with regular ass crooks most of the time. There are yeah. a couple of di- uh, examples against, but almost always crooks as compared to uh, the Batman stories in these uh, issues are getting increasingly sci-fi oriented, not just in like style, but like, oh yeah, whole lot of aliens. Roy Raymond. Remember how I talked about he was, how he was like the impossible but true guy oh, right, where it right. was basically like Scooby-Doo. Like, oh, let me unmask. Here's this guy who claimed to be an alien. Nope, he was trying to fool me. Because hmm. uh, the whole shtick was it was people like essentially pitching. Here's this weird thing that you should show on your TV show. And he doesn't want to look like an idiot. So he always investigates them and they're always fake. <laughs> and now it's like, no, there was something I had to reveal but you actually were an alien. It's, like, it's just that you were an alien trying to convince me that you were an, a human undercover. I'm not making that up. It's like Mysterious <laughs> Mysteries from Invader Zim. Oh, I need to rewatch that. God, it's been a while. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so we've got all of these, everything else, like World's Finest. I talked about how they were switching to aliens and sci-fi, like shortly after the stuff we covered the Batman stories here are Roy Raymond is going sci-fi, but Martian Manhunter isn't. Mm -hmm. It's very strange, but he still has like the crooks who feel like they're like they're supervillains who don't have enough pages to chew scenery properly, but they're still like they're whimsical and inventive and it's sci-fi. It's sci-fi stuff. It's just not, aliens and space sci-fi yeah very strange it's mundane sci-fi yeah it's terrestrial sci-fi yeah speaking of uh reading like the full comics uh fun little thing so sometimes the comics that i read the, the ones that i read that are scans uh sometimes there's little puzzles and such in the comics like Oh, Batman's got like a word jumble or some shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the scans often have some kids like little handwritten answers in there. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's kind of nice to have that like proof isn't the right word, but that reminder that, yeah, these were not just pixels, uh, not just reprints, but these were something that a kid once had that a kid really liked and that a kid like did the kid thing of drawing in. Like I can't flip back and remember writing in any of my comics growing up but i sure remember like i i I can point to i know exactly which issue 
I wore the the cover off of and I just have it stored in a bag without a cover. Uh, I remember like certain comics, like reading them to my stuffed animals, like my stuffed animals, each having a different voice for the different characters. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I ever wrote in my comics. I don't think I did. Because I think I was that kid. Like, I was also, I was trained pretty early not to put a paperback down. Like, just, like, open it and put it down. Like, you put a, you put a bookmark of some kind in there, Mm -hmm. even if it's just, like, your wallet. Yeah. But, uh, then the other thing was, uh, kind of an interesting, like, just, just a little fun little bit. Uh, what kind of ads are usually seen in these comics? It's mainly other DC comics. Tootsie Rolls, PSAs, surprising amount of those, and Daisy Air Rifles, which took out two different ads in every single issue. <laughs> it's like that rifle from A Christmas Story. It's very much that. And, it's, and then that's in addition to sometimes they've got like BB gun ads in there as well. Mm. Uh, and it's just like, damn, two pages always two pages and it's always like it's very often one of those hey dads your kid's about to go on summer vacation or have christmas you should like probably make sure they have something to do that's not just singing in front of the tv which by the way they're talking about tv in comics at this point which mm. is interesting yeah and it, i mean it makes sense like the superman oh sure yeah been out for a while but it's somewhere along the line technology advanced yeah the zeitgeist has happened yeah all right i think that's pretty much the stuff that i've got let me flip back through and see if there's anything else so so while you're doing that i just want to bring up again we still don't know what city he's in yep (laughs) and i want to list off the things that are in this city that we know of due to storylines a big bridge which means that there's a shipping industry to this city a bridge that he has to like keep together with his Martian form at God, one that's point. Right. Yeah. So that it gets large enough ships that it requires a bridge to be lifted. So presumably a port city that has either a lake, a, a large river, a large lake, or ocean port. A film industry. The governor of whatever state he's in is there. Mm-hmm. What what is this place that has all these things? Like Georgia? Yeah, I like, can see that. Is he in the South? It's got like adventurer clubs and carnivals. Uh, like, where where in America is this? And it still feels East Coast-ish. Well, they all kind of do due to the <laughs> fact that they were written in the East Coast. The only one that doesn't really is Coast City. Yeah. And even then, that kind of has that East Coast skyline situation going on. Um, with big big buildings i don't normally associate west coast cities with large buildings skyscrapers unless it's san francisco los angeles Mm -hmm. even sacramento doesn't have yeah a building a skyline like that um it's just very strange that they have in two years three years maybe never named the city is odd like not even just like a placeholder town like Manhattan or whatever, like we did with Batman for a long time. I mean, shit, uh, Sandman had Long Island. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. He lived on Long Island. And so there's no sense of place. Yeah. No, absolutely no sense of place. No sense of 
uh, environment, no sense of people. These are really ungrounded stories. Right. These are actually, you know what? In some way, it feels more like the JLA where it really is, okay, you, you need to know two data points about the superhero, and that's the extent of it. Sure. So it's just, it's very weird that he's supermaning a lot in parts unknown, but at least we have the status quo that we talked about in the last episode of now, now I have that secret identity. I don't have to keep it secret anymore, but I still have that secret identity. And we've made that step between everyone knows about the Martian Manhunter instead of not knowing about this unseen force that was whatever. And now he can use that to be scary. So it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting, and it's a kind of an evolution of the character yeah. and plot. It's just very weird. <laughs> the situation has evolved somewhat, but it also feels remarkably arbitrary how it evolved. Like, sure, that's the thing. Like, I I am absolutely of the school where if we're if you're gonna change the status quo for a character, I mean that's that's the chance to make a really well selling issue. Oh yeah, but nah, all right. <laughs> we 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 attempted, and we got what we got. Yep. <laughs> do you have uh, anything else? Nah, ça c'est tout. Do you want to go to recommendations? Yeah. All right. Go ahead. All right. So, I am. I'm going to really quickly just. I, this one doesn't count, but you should totally listen to the counterweight season of Friends at the Table because I just refinished that and re-listened to the finale this past week. And hot damn, is that still amazing? Uh, second, I'm going to recommend. A band, actually, this time. Jukebox the Ghost. Depending on the songs that you choose to listen to, it's either very, like, upbeat indie, very, like, positive, like, high energy, uh, but still relatively simplistic instrumentation. Simplistic isn't the right word, but it's very piano-driven. Rudimentary? Not even that. It's just, it's not a wall of sound. Okay. Uh, But there's a lot of that. But then there are songs where they go heavy queen. Like mm. they absolutely have like the harmonies. Uh, and like I said, piano driven in large case. The There are some songs where the guitar has that very distinctive Brian May twang. Mm. Uh, and it's just beautiful. There's a lot of good stuff. And saw them in concert recently and they were really quite good. Oh, Highly cool. recommended. Nice. Hmm trying to think of i've been spending a lot of time working on my mutants and masterminds one shot yeah that's eaten up so much so much time (laughs) um i still haven't played a game of mutants and masterminds (laughs) but i finished i've finished the one shot and i and i gotta say i'm not gonna recommend it because i haven't played it yet but i just kind of want to talk about it just for a couple seconds as, as role-playing systems go, it's incredibly number-crunchy, but it feels really open to the idea of you doing whatever it is that you really want to do, which I kind of appreciate. I'm interested in seeing how it plays out and how I work with characters that are speedsters, um, because they can move, like, the entire battle map in one turn, because there's literally a way to, like, calculate how fast the speedster works in the game and in the GM screen, like, they have the whole chart and everything, so I'm curious how that's going to work for me. But I'll find a way to balance it, I'm sure. But that's kind of what's been dominating a lot of my time right now has been doing that. Um, I know last time I talked about the Green Lantern Core comic. I'm going to keep talking about this until you read it. 
Aquaman. I just read volumes three and four of the Dan Abnett storyline. Uh, volume four is when Stefan or Stepan Sedgik, who does Sunstone, oh, yeah. does the art. And it's incredible. Um, volumes three and four, I think it's Deadwater and the Underworld, or respectively is um, Deadwater's three and Underworld is four. Really delve into the societal structure of Atlantis more so than volumes one and two did. Volume one was kind of Aquaman in his new position of power and dealing with being a, a world leader and also kind of a threat because he's a Justice League member and they don't know how to handle a world leader who would also be able to like fight a war by himself. And volume two was kind of proving to the world that Atlantis wasn't what they thought it was. They're not a warring nation. They're not scary mer people. So he's having to fight um, a what is essentially a terrorist organization within Atlantis that is against surface communication. And he has to prove that he is not behind the attacks and that these terrorists are. Um, volume 3 brings some stuff from the New 52 that I wasn't aware of that was kind of interesting. Um played a little bit into a thing that I was like, ooh, you should call Green Lantern. But it, it's cool to see him and Mara kind of have conversations philosophically about, like, you know, coming into contact with an alien life form or uh, an alien intelligence or aquatic rules of nature, things like that. That's kind of interesting. And then volume four is straight up, like, Aquaman in what I can only describe as, like, the low levels of Coruscant dealing with huh. the mobs and um, disenfranchised in Atlantis. So um, Atlantis... I don't know that I've ever seen that touched. It's really, really cool, and the art is incredible. Atlantis is stratified into trides, which are... Um, there's nine trides, which are levels of existence like in ascending order of like closer to the surface water and then further 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 into the bottom dwelling areas and volume four deals with the ninth tried and him being in like the underworld and dealing with that and it's really interesting um Cedric's art really does lend itself to, uh, like he's drawn like half shark people a man who's like a crab monster this guy's got like alligator skin and it's really cool because, like, everyone's different. I mean, um, there's the inclusion of the character Dolphin. I don't personally know her uh, in my vast knowledge of the DC universe. The name sounds familiar, but Dolphin is a mute woman. Her power is a mutation of bioluminescence to an almost weaponized form. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool that... They have Aquaman having conversations with a character who can't speak. And Sedgwick's art is so beautifully uh, full of expression that you really, really can tell what Dolphin is saying without words to him as he effectively talks for two, three pages. But she's making she's using body language to be like, no, yes, I don't know, maybe, maybe, yes, we should do that. And, like, you can see that in each panel because Sedgwick is such a good artist. Yeah. And especially at, like, body language, you're absolutely right. And it's it's really fun to watch and read. And I love the faces that he does. Like, he has, like, a, 
like the unhappy face smiley faces like face on normal people it's like i love yep. how he does like their <laughs> frowns and like their i don't know which is like legit their mouth is a straight line with like raised eyebrows and them shrugging i really want to read his uh it's either sinister six or suicide squad i think he did a suicide squad for a while um but this aquaman's really good nice and i think he's doing all the art pencils inks and colors oh damn so it's literally just dan abnett the letterer and sedgic <laughs> it's a three-man team or a three-person team i don't know who the letterer is i'd have to check but it's like a lot of work like when you look back at like what sedgic's doing you're like that's a lot of work especially like when they go um there's a uh, two side characters are doing some stuff in like the atlantean vaults in the in the castle of atlantis and it's guarded by spirits of dead protectors of Atlantis. And this character knows some of them because that was what he studied. So as long as he knows their names, they can't hurt them. And if he identifies them, he greets them with their name and they let him pass because he's a friend. Mm -hmm. The problem is the older the spirits get, the more decayed they are. So he can't visibly identify oh. them because some of them are like missing their face and Cedric does this great shot of one of these wraith things where it's like missing the front half of its skull and it's just the bottom half and you can see into the, the skull cavity and it's like menacing and leering and he's just like, I don't know who this is. And he's just saying <laughs> names as they're swimming away from it. And he's like, we need to go, we need to get out of here. And it's it's so funny because he's just like shouting names over his shoulder and this person who's with him is like, how come you don't know? He's like, it doesn't have a face. I can't, I, I can't tell. It's such a great moment. It's so fun. It's oh, good. It's such a fun moment in such a serious story. Like Mara is dealing with the fact that like, her and Arthur are separated in that situation because he's in Atlantis and she got separated from like the magic. So mm -hmm. she's looking for help. So she goes and asks Aqualad, who's part of the Titans. Yes. Guy, and she pulls oh. Garth and she's like, you're the only Atlantean sorcerer. I know I'm an aquakinetic. You're an Atlantean sorcerer. I need your help. And like, they go into this whole storyline of like why Garth left the silent school of Atlantis, which is the school of sorcery. And like, all the shit and baggage that he's got and why he goes with the titans and not go back to atlantis and not help arthur it's like a whole bunch of personal stuff and he's and him fighting atlantean magicians underwater while she like assaults the city is so cool because like Ooh. garth having this whole like standoff with like the silent school by himself is just such a great moment and mara's just like holy shit he's willing to fight like five master magicians by himself to let me have an escape and the, the choreography is amazing it's so good. It's really worth reading because, like, there's all these cool things where it's, like, the Silent School, the the Sister of the Widowhood, which are these women who are essentially, like, um, uh, the Bene Gesserit. Bene yeah, they're, like, the Bene Gesserit from Dune. So they're, like, soothsayer, they're like, an order of soothsayers that are all women. So they're, like, nuns. Um, they, they go into, like, Tula, is, huh? uh, Aqua Girl, oh. is Aquaman's kind of, like lord regent because he's like i'm being a superhero and shit i need someone i can trust to run atlantis who's lived in atlantis her whole life tula uh later and so like tula <laughs> dealing with all the politics of atlantis like they have a council of elders and they can vote whether or not like the king is still the king and like 
Arthur belongs to the House of Atlan. Remember his mother's name from when we covered uh, Aquaman issues in, in the very early times? Like, her name's like something Atlan. Like her, I didn't know that. They I referred forgot to, like, about that. So they talk about, like, he is a member of the House of Atlan and, like, how their lineage is stratified. And, like, his brother Orm and his, he's, his Atlantean name is Orin and Orm is Ocean Master. So we have all these, like, callbacks to a bunch of different characters and they're like, the House of Atlan is dead because it's just you and just Orm and Orm is a traitor and you're like an unfit king. There's all this like really interesting like Shakespearean levels of drama and just enough politic to go like, ooh, bureaucracy. And then it's done because Dan Abnett dealt with 40K. Warhammer 40K is full of politic and Mm -hmm. rhetoric and he's doing just enough that it's, each issue is like, this is cool, this is cool, I want to know more, I want to know more. And when you get to learn more, and it just fills out the world of Atlantis and the world that he lives in. And, like, even they kind of talk more about Jebel, which is where Mara's from, which is, like, another quote-unquote Atlantean city that's on, like, the outskirts of, like, the Atlantean territory. So, I kind of go into, like, why Jebelians are not exactly cool with the rest of Atlantis and why like the widowhood um doesn't really think that Mara is a a suitable match for Arthur because she's from Jebel and going into like maybe she needs to take like a retreat to the widowhood for a while to learn about Atlantean customs and and it's just like all this really interesting weird sort of stuff where you get to see a lot about these characters being who they are and being characterized and I think it's setting up Mara becoming queen of Atlantis because everyone's not cool with with Arthur due to his like being a member of the Justice League and they're like you're too split between surface and, and underwater and blah 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 and I and it looks like the widowhood wants to supplant the current king and make it Mara and I'm like really interested in this whole dynamic that's going on so it's very worth reading again it's only volumes one through four that I've read Mara has her own comic now oh that's um, right so there's some cool stuff going on. So it's worth checking out. I will always pump up Aquaman. You will never not hear me talk about it if I can. And that's your curse. I will need to check that out. Yeah. Um, that will do it for this episode. I think we're probably going to either do Flash, Wonder Woman, Superman, one of those. Uh, next, we're going to do a similar style like this. Then we're probably going to do Green Arrow once we've rounded out the Justice League roster as it was before we got to Green Arrow do Green Arrow, and then go to some of the weird guys like Adam Strange, Metamorpho, the Doom Patrol. Uh, What are Hawkman and Hawkgirl like now in the 60s? Like, do we have Thanagar? All sorts of stuff. So we're going to check all that out, and we're going to start really delving into the weird and the wild. Um, If we really want, we can do, like, the War That Time Forgot, which is, like, a bunch of U.S. soldiers fighting dinosaurs that DC did for a while, which is very much in the same vein as, like, um, the Challengers of the the Unknown. Um, if I can find like Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters, I will do that because that's always interesting to look at. There's obviously, of course, Supergirl and Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes to look at too. So there's some fun young stuff. We could also do an episode that is just Lois Lane, Superman's yes. girlfriend, and uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. Yes. We do like a two-parter, which is like, you know, ten of each. And then we just talk about like, what is this cacophony of madness? <laughs> and we'll, we'll figure it out. But mm-hmm. suffice it to say, there is content coming. 
get excited because we're going to look at some more stuff and we're going to start moving and shaking in some uh, directions that we're excited about. Get hype. Yeah, get hype. (laughs) And uh, we will see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and DCDetectivesPodcast.com. Well, Jean Jeans had finally met the rest of the world, he hadn't changed anything about himself. Those fears of judgment still hung over his head, despite the positive response from the citizens of parts unknown. While we were happy to see that some things had taken a turn for the interesting with his cases, it was clear that we still needed to give him time to grow into his new normal. We bought our tickets and took the train out of town. On to our next case.